we would be honored if you would join us. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where we are here to talk about something special, something new, something that has ended, and something that is scarlet. Yeah, I wonder what it is. Chinese New Year? What could it be? Maybe if one of us just had a vision, we could really let them know what we're talking about. Yes, but which show are we talking about? Yes, which show? I'm, I'm sorry, guys. I'm, I'm getting really, really lost here. Though I, I do believe that your puns are quite marvelous. That's good. That's good. All right. So what we're... Krebs is dying. I know he is. It's so awesome. <laughs> it's so None awesome. of you can see the camera. Part of me. There may be some future date where we fix that. But right now, Krebs is just dead. I, I know it's a total combo breaker, but I was going to come back with, I DC what you did there. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I think we did, a, we did a great job. This intro was amazing. There was puns and everything in it. So yes, we're going to be talking about WandaVision, uh, Marvel's slash Disney's uh, release of, it, it was nine episodes, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, nine episodes. Nine episodes uh, of WandaVision, which... We're going to talk about our thoughts on it, our opinions, and where we think this will lead, not only in the Marvel Universe, but just the aspect of this long storyline compared to a two-hour movie. So let's start with what our thoughts are uh, on the show. You know, What did you think? Was it a great one? Was it a stinker? How do you feel like it failed? Uh, in in the scope of things so who wants to jump in first all right well, if I, yeah if i can go ahead and jump in first especially since you know film and television is krebs's thing i want to make sure that we save that succulent uh insight for last but uh as somebody who has never been really into comic books okay like i read the bionicle comic books growing up and love those, but every time that I've tried to get into other things, I've just never really quite connected. Um, nevertheless, I've been enjoying learning the Marvel Marvel Universe as a you know a more casual fan, just kind of coming into it from the film and television shows and things like that. And uh, I got to say, I really really enjoyed Wandavision. I thought that it was fantastic. I also thought that they did a good job of doing a slow burn instead of just trying to blow everything up all at once and make it this huge thing from the get-go, but letting there be a little bit of runway and lead up and things that didn't quite make sense and you're trying to figure out how it fits into everything. You know, I, I really, really loved it. And I have a, a number of friends who are really big into the comic books who were complaining early on in episode one and two that they're like, it's so slow and it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. And I'm like, no, no, like there's weirdness here. You got to look beyond just the high level stuff. And as I went back and pointed out a whole bunch of small things to Tasha, I was like, I think this is going to be really good. And every episode, I just kept feeling like, okay, stakes have been raised again. Okay. Quality has been raised again. Okay. Things are getting better. And it just kept ratcheting, ratcheting, ratcheting all the way to the season finale at which point it it had ratcheted um but i didn't feel like i was let down or like the energy had dropped at any point every episode it just went a little bit more and a little bit more 
I loved all of the inside references to decades of television. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, 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 there was just, there was a lot of things that I enjoyed about it. And I also picked up on a number of things that I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later that I think might lead to some interesting future interactions. Dan, what are your thoughts? Well, um, being the DC fan uh, of the group, uh, the thing I always loved about DC was the human aspect of the characters. I never felt like you really got that with Marvel, with the exception of Spider-Man. Um, you know, Fantastic Four, it was always about how awesome Reed Richards' brain was and how sh- super stretchy he was um, and how cranky Thing was and how, <laughs> you know, it, there wasn't, re- you know, and the, the X-Men, was, it was always about, you know, defeating Magneto and the next best, the next thing. There wasn't really a, this human element to it, which is why I always loved DC. You know, you have Hal Jordan, who is always... He's trying to be a superhero, but really sucks at relationships and keeping a job. And, you know, you have Clark Kent that's trying to win the girl and trying to keep his job and be Superman and blah, blah, blah. Um, This is the thing, and this is why I believe the Marvel movies have been a success to this point. And and this hit me um, while watching WandaVision is because they have incorporated that element. Each of these characters are now been humanized and we love them. Even the Hulk, Thor, uh, the giant playboy that is, you know, Tony Stark. We love and can connect with him because we see how he struggles trying to relate with Pepper. He really loves her and really adores her, but doesn't know how to relate because of all of his playboy antics before. He struggles with his relationship with his dad. I mean, the last movie, that was a huge thing for me that, you know, that final scene with him and his dad. Um, So watching WandaVision, we got to see that. Scarlet Witch is a character that I've never been interested in. She's always, she's one of, she's Magneto's daughter. She's kind of broken, has some mental illness issues they threw in there later on. She's in love with Vision. That's a robot. They somehow have kids. I don't know how. Um, but you see a much more human version of her in this series. She's heartbroken, so heartbroken that unwittingly she creates this spell that entraps this whole town and brings vision back. And then they have children. And because as a child, she loved her family, the only good t- memories that they had is they would watch these old movies, you know, TV series like Dick Van Dyke and the Brady Bunch and stuff like that. And the way they wove that into the story was beautiful. I'm just, as a story, looking at it just purely from a storytelling aspect, they crafted it so beautifully that I have to wonder if somewhere behind the scenes, Dave Filoni and John Favreau were like adding their two cents in there because it was, and, and I don't mean this as a slight, but when you watch a Disney TV series, you kind of expect the same beats and the same things because that's just what they do. Mm-hmm. So going into this, I was like, uh, you know, seeing Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I was just, oh, I'm like, I was so disappointed. The Runaways, um, 
Oh, what was the other Marvel TV series? Uh, the Inhumans. I've watched mm-hmm. all those, and I I always just come back like, man, I don't care about these characters. This just sucks. There's no excitement here. There's nothing to keep hooking me in day after you know week after week. Yeah. And this show definitely did it. You know, and I'm I'm sure that Krebs is going to say something about this too. So I won't spend super long on this, but this this alongside the Mandalorian is showing something that I think is vital to Disney's success in the streaming sphere, which is they are recognizing and leaning into the fact that they are a multi-billion dollar company. They are a production studio. They have Hmm. access to real equipment and real designers and real compositors, and they are taking advantage of it. And they're making sure that the content that they put out is not just cw uploaded to the cloud it's actually like high budget really good storytelling really great technology i i'm absolutely in love with it i think you're spot on the money there dan yeah yeah for me i the layers of wandavision are many uh of course uh, from coming from my from my film student background the very first thing that anyone notices, not just me, but anyone, is their faithful reproduction of television history. Yeah. Uh, the way that they, the way that the angles that they chose to film the sets when you're talking about 50s versus 60s versus 70s, if you watch it carefully, um, of course, everything's familiar because it's modeled after I Love Lucy and it's modeled after Bewitched slash the Mary Tyler Moore show or Dick Van Dyke, however you want to look at it. And then, of course, you've got the Brady Bunch. And then you've got any 80s sitcom, probably Family Ties. And, you know, it goes on from there. Then it goes into like 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, it hits 90. You got Malcolm in the middle for the 90s. You've got Modern Family after that. (laughs) I loved the Office intro, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That was so good. That was so good. Uh, But the point is, like, even though they're doing the familiar, in order for that to work, you have to faithfully reproduce what is familiar. It's not enough to just kind of be the same. You have to do it with like scientific precision. Mm-hmm. And, and they did it that way. And it had such great effect because I'm actually showing these episodes to my, to my children. And because they're younger, I try to prepare them for certain things. And I'll tell them in every episode, something goes weird and you need to be able to spot that. And in the very first episode, Mr. Hart chokes. And then Mrs. Hart, played by Kitty from that 70s show, who I adore, um, she, she, she's like giggling and she keeps saying, stop it and stop. You know, and, and as a true actress, she starts filling emotion in underneath. But also the camera has now broken the 50s sitcom mold. Instead mm-hmm. of mostly wide shots, instead of shooting from the fourth wall only, now the camera has migrated to another side of the table and is up close. They're using a wider angle lens, so it causes curvature of the face. Um, they're doing a ton of things visually that tell you that the formula has cracked and, and that would not have worked if they weren't faithful to the show's production in a specific decade prior to that moment the same thing happens in the next episode don't touch that dial where um where it's the um it's the dick van dyke it's the 60s episode right and and uh i'm yeah it's don't touch that dial and and at the end when uh vision tells wanda 
that something feels wrong, something feels off. And then they go outside and, uh, oh, no, no, no. He goes outside to investigate a noise. And that's where they see the beekeeper coming out of the manhole. Yeah. Uh, and then she says, no. And then it like physically rewinds back to that point uh, where the noise is. And then they start over again. Um, and when they go outside, the same thing happens again. The camera is doing modern camera things. Uh, the color, the color, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Anomalies that you see. Cause in that episode, because the sixties, they were replicating it with like a little bit of green, a little bit of red hues that were going through the scan lines of the image, trying to like simulate older televisions and of the time. Uh, they got rid of that and it was just straight black and white. It was more like a horror movie at that point, uh, but it was very modern. They did that every single time something weird happened. Anytime the formula cracked and it was so brilliant. It was so beautiful. Can I, I also a, say, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Can I also say, I, I loved every time that the aspect ratio changed. Yes. And the way that they didn't just like cut or even do like a scene cut, but that they actively chose to cue in music, cue in wide shots and let the screen expand or contract yes. in front of us. I loved that. When, when they went from four by three to super 35, I was mm -hmm. like, that's gorgeous. That's yes. amazing. They didn't even, they did not even stop at 16 by nine, which would have been our standard television ratio today. They went to super 35 or maybe just 35, but in either case, they went to a film aspect ratio mimicking MCU films mm -hmm. and that that makes that visual connection whether people consciously recognize it or not that makes that visual connection between the Marvel that we're watching right now this this weird out of place television show to the Marvel universe that we've been experiencing for the last 20 years yeah. so that yeah I, in terms of its craft in terms of its creation what a marvelously not a pun what a marvelously carefully science like like precisely executed show I had I had multiple friends who talked to me two episodes in and they were like, I don't know what this one division thing. It's really weird. And, and, you know, many of those friends were younger than I, and I'm over here. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. First of all, it was a great homage to all this classic television, yada, 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 yada. And, but my response would always be just wait. They're building to something. They're building something here. Just be patient. It will pay off. And, and I was not let down by the payoff. So I'm very grateful that they took their time with this. It was a slow burn, but it was a methodical burn. So let me ask a, a question then, you know, now that we've all given kind of our high level thoughts on things, I want to talk a little bit about like what brought us to this point that actually made WandaVision pull off the way that it did. And then obviously before we leave, we have to talk about what the future looks like. But, you know, one of the things that, that, all three of us pointed out and that you're going really heavy on Krebs is talking about a lot of the visual cues, the visual coding, um, the things that we as a modern audience have come to expect, but also the telltale signs of everything that came before, right? And, and in some ways it's like one of the things that has made the Marvel Cinematic Universe so brilliantly cohesive is that they've been very careful about what they do and what they don't do in yeah. some cases to like anal retention but nevertheless we're now seeing some of that payoff in wandavision what do you feel are some of those strongest visual cues and daniel this is open to you as well that have 
set this up so that now we've arrived at WandaVision, which if it was taken entirely on its own without the Marvel Cinematic Universe backing it up, would be a weird show. <laughs> if this was the first thing that you saw of Marvel, I would not expect it to be as enjoyable of an experience. I still think it's a fine show on its own. I think that it would stand up. But I think that because we've now been treated to two decades or a decade and a half of Marvel Cinematic Universe, we've, we've culturally built this lexicon of what belongs. What are some of those strong visual cues that you oh, find, Krebs? Um, I, I know this is going to seem like, I, I don't know. This might seem like low-hanging fruit, but I think the continuity of visual effects between what we see as Wanda's powers in this show versus what we see of Wanda's powers all the way back to Age of Ultron. Uh, I love that continuity. Oftentimes when movies jump to television out of necessity of budget and resources and access, you end up with obviously different, if not subpar, visual effects replacements because that you know tv shows just don't have the budget or the resources we live in a time now where visual effects are much easier to produce than they used to be and because marvel is owned by disney i think resources were not nearly as scarce but no matter how you slice it the continuity of visual effects and and those those special effect representations of power were exactly i mean they, they were precisely equal to what we saw in the films. I think that was a major thing to keep this show contiguous with the MCU that we know. Mm -hmm. Dan, is there anything that stands out to you? Well, I, I got to agree. I mean, I, so I just watched the CW's new Superman and Lois uh, show. Uh, granted, its production value is much higher than any previous Superman. I mean, you look at uh, Lois, Lois and Clark. Clark and it's, it's vastly different. But if you look at, say, let's say the Flash or the Arrow or Batwoman, it has a better production value. I mean, you have to. It's Superman. You have to use a lot of that. But even looking at Supergirl, uh, when Supergirl came out on CBS, it, it, it looked close to cinematic it definitely was tv but it definitely looked closer to a movie then it went to the cw and you they lost that they, they lost something there it wasn't as as good a quality mm. can, I, can i jump in on that point just really fast sure. it occurs to me as you're talking that one of the biggest differences when we're looking at lois and clark smallville supergirl batgirl when we're looking at all of that all those shows even batgirl were produced still under like um, the, the separation of TV and film where you have mm -hmm. television studios and you have film studios. But now we live in a time and, in, and at a point in television history where that has now become an aggregate because now we have streaming studios and streaming studios are now like Amazon Prime is making brand new movies that go to theaters. Whereas beforehand they made original content or TV shows. The, mm -hmm. the line that separates television from film is almost completely gone now. And I think that might be a contributing factor to why The Flash has such high production quality and why WandaVision has such high production quality, why Mandalorian has such high production quality, because now studios are not just film studios and TV studios. Now they're original content studios and the medium is not as important anymore, or rather the landing platform is not as important anymore. Mm 
Yeah. Hmm. I'm sorry. I cut you off from your thoughts, though. Please no, go don't on. Don't worry about it. I, I'm just saying what I was just saying. It's the production value between even that and one division. Don't even compare. Um, <laughs> they don't. We are being treated to a nine episode movie. I mean, really, it's what it is. It's a movie in long form, mm-hmm. um, which is just it, it's brilliant. It really is. And if this is the caliber that we're going to see for Winter Soldier and the Falcon, holy crap. Um, I mean, I mean, we've already seen it. We definitely have seen it with season one and two of The Mandalorian. They have proven that they can do a long format movie that's broken up. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at, let's say, Game of Thrones, you know, that was popular and huge. I still think that production value was not even anywhere near what this one was oh yeah when vision flew around it wasn't clunky it was smooth it was the same thing we would see in a movie um even when it was floating you know even when it was in black and white you know i still felt like i was watching a movie about the scarlet witch that that they were using period pieces to make it look like uh the episodes that we were, were we were in uh, just the small details. I mean, we, when we changed to a different period, the clothing would change, the cars would change, the shops would change. It was it was brilliant. It was fantastic how they did that. Absolutely. And to continue answering the question that Alton asked about what were like what was the visual code that made WandaVision so special? Uh, one another thing that really stands out: they were expert in their use of Easter eggs and references. Um, You know, this is supposed to be an artificial world of Wanda's creation. And of course she's leaning on her childhood memories, the things that she fantasized about as well as what really happened to her in real life. And um, I wholeheartedly admit as much as I love the comic book world, I have never been a comic book aficionado. I always have to do the research. I always have to go study because I just didn't collect a lot of comic books when I was younger, but that said, I, w- I went before the show and I was researching, okay, now that I've seen all the episodes and I caught some of the Easter eggs for myself, I want to know all the Easter eggs. And I was finding list after list. And there are so, so many. And what's brilliant about it is they didn't go with just the low-hanging fruit from the movies. They went with a ton of references from the actual graphic history of Scarlet Witch as an IP. Like one, one example is in episode two, don't touch that dial in the, um, in the animated intro of the show, she's in the grocery store and she uses her powers to like levitate a can of, of tomato paste or whatever. But in the background, there is a minimalist 60s style poster for a brand of milk called Bova milk. And I did not know this until I went researching this, but Bova is the name of a sentient cow in the comic books that was the midwife who helped Wanda deliver her brother or or helped deliver Wanda and her brother, excuse me, deliver Wanda and her brother Pietro. So Bova, the sentient cow midwife helped to deliver the twins when uh, Wanda was born. So like just stuff like that, the kind of thing where if you are a comic book fan, this show has so much reward. It has so much value to reward you for being a fan throughout the entire IP. I thought that was brilliant. And, it, and and what's weird is even if you weren't an aficionado, there were so many points where they would say something or do something or show something just naturally and organically, but you knew as an audience member, you're like, ah, 
that's a reference to something. I don't get it, but that's a reference. It was it was just so well done. It was beautiful. I, I, the Halloween episode. Oh, the Halloween brilliant. episode. Where they were, you know, they were all wearing or looking like the comic book version yes. of themselves. It justified the ridiculousness of those costumes in reality. Yeah. But that worked at the time the comics were originally printed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, and the, the other thing too is that it, it very much to the point that you, you were making, like it was not obtrusive. Mm-hmm. Like, there are, there increasingly as, studios are trying to capitalize on nostalgia and capitalize on known franchises and things like that. We, we keep running into things where it's like beating us over the head with backstory or lore or, ah, ah, did you see the thing? Ah, right. Like, and that, especially as somebody who is in many cases, enjoying some of these franchises for the first time, that, can be extremely disconcerting and it doesn't always feel great and it interrupts the flow of the story it does similarly we also see the extreme opposite end where you know solo being a great example (laughs) where we go into all this backstory and lore and things that like are not significant to the story that's being told really and that the fans maybe were curious about but it doesn't justify throwing a wrench in a story yeah. or building a scene around something that doesn't contribute. Right. And, and with WandaVision, I definitely, I felt engaged the whole time. I felt curious to learn more. I felt curious to explore more about the world, but I also never felt that in the middle of the episode, I never felt lost. I never felt talked down to, and I never felt like there was something that didn't have to be there. So now again, I don't come from a comic book background. Yeah. Um, and so one of the other questions that I have before we talk about kind of implications of what this means, not only for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but also just franchises in general, like what does this mean now that Disney has pulled off Mandalorian 1 and 2, WandaVision, right? Um, I am curious with both of you having more background knowledge in this, was there anything that stood out to you as missing from outside lore and, or was there anything that stood out to you as being the perfect insertion that helped make the story richer and fuller for you? Well, there, I mean, there definitely is outside lore they've left out. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, you can't Scarlet cover Witch- that much ground in one season. Well, not only that, you know, there's the big giant elephant in the room, Scarlet Witch, and Quicksilver are really the children of Magneto. That has never been introduced into the Marvel Universe, clearly because Fox owns you know, the rights to all that. And now Disney owns Fox, so who knows what's going to happen. I mean, we see, we saw Quicksilver from the Fox movies suddenly show up as her brother, but is he really because he's Ralph or whatever? Um, so I, I loved how they snuck that in. Um, but it does open some questions, uh, you know, because, you know, in the comic books, they showed up and we didn't know that their parentage was kind of confusing. And then eventually it became known that they, yeah, that they're Magneto's children. Will they do that? That would be really interesting to see. Um, but I, you know, but again, at the same time, this is a different universe. 
it's not the same universe. You know, we, we clearly are dealing with the multiverse. So maybe they aren't Magneto's kids and that's how they're going to deal with it. I don't think we really needed a lot more in there. I think they subtly put in the right elements and components, even right down to the commercials for crying out. Well, the commercials were fantastic. You know, from Stark or Hydra or whatever. It was was really cool to have this sudden break and we had a commercial. At first, I'm like, what the crap is this? But then I realized (laughs) it's mimicking a TV show down to the core. They didn't Mm -hmm. need to put in that subtle element. But they did, and it, it worked. And not only that, they were putting in elements to help us realize, you know, Hydra is still in play. Stark is still wandering around. Um, so we're still connected to those things. So I think, and, and even the little Easter eggs that we've already mentioned that were just floating around um, were great. And even when the big reveal happens and we look back, we're like, holy crap, those breadcrumbs were there we just didn't realize it till now, which is great storytelling. I mean, it is. Mm-hmm. you lay the breadcrumbs up to the reveal and then you're like, what? What? Oh my gosh. Yeah, they've been there. Yeah. For, for me, um, especially coming into the Scarlet Witch storyline completely new myself, uh, you know, I my brother collected the comics and I saw the Scarlet Witch and I knew, I knew the character existed. I never dug deep into it much like Dan. I wasn't in my youth. I wasn't that interested in the character and vision also just didn't particularly grab me. I think the MCU has done a a fantastic job. If nothing else, the MCU has done an amazing job of revitalizing interest in otherwise sort of long forgotten or more sort of um, sidelined major characters um and and you know it's uh one of the things i really want to explore now that i've seen sort of in a weird way in a weird way this season has become wanda's origin story despite the fact that we saw a snippet of quicksilver and scarlet when they were being held captive and they were being created as it were um, we saw that, and then we saw them originally as villains, uh, as they fought against the Avengers initially, and then they become Avengers themselves, and all that stuff, right? Well, which is exactly how in the comic books they show up with the the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants or whatever the Brotherhood of Evil. Uh, I think I think it's just the isn't it just the Brotherhood or something. Brotherhood like that? of Mutants, excuse me. Brotherhood of Mutants, Brotherhood yeah. Of mutants. Um, and- so they do show up as villains in the comic books. So the way they brought them in was perfect. It yeah. Was- but you're right. This is her origin story. This is, even this, though it's kind of after we've already been gotten used to her. But this is her finding who she really is. Yeah. As opposed yes. to just being a weapon of Hydra, she's something beyond. Yes. And this is and this is one of the things that I think has been very important to the success of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and why I think that it still has some legs, which is weird. That something this big that's been going on for this long that follows formulas that people understand still has legs. But it's specifically because not every movie in which a superhero or villain appears for the first time has to be their origin story. You can introduce somebody without giving them deep emotional meaning to the people watching. As we saw Wanda and Vision in the films and in other media up until this point, Vision was the focus. 
right? Because yes. he was Jarvis and then, you know, all these, and I'm not going to get super deep into it, but the, the point is, is that like, it was not necessary at that time for us to go super deep into Wanda and super deep into who she was, but there were still stories to tell and major kudos to everybody involved in the projects for being willing to keep their fingers out of all of the pies yes. and focus on just the ones that were necessary to tell the story that needed to be told. That I is agree. a Herculean task. And I am very happy. And, and as a, as a new fan now of the character, um, I, one of the things I really want to learn now, like in just in, in terms of like exposition of experiencing it as an audience member, uh, Agatha, you know, she makes this deductive conclusion that Wanda is the Scarlet Witch. We find out later on via the Darkhold that the Scarlet Witch is not born, she is forged, which tells me uh, potentially that she's obviously not the first. She can't be the first Scarlet Witch. It had to have been recorded ages and ages ago. And I mean that in the literal sense, ages, not just as a metaphor, uh, because it is- a prophecy. Yeah, yeah. And, and the Scarlet Witch is a known quantity. It's a known factor, right? And so I would love to know the, the origin of the Scarlet Witch as opposed to just Wanda Scarlet Witch, right? Actually, like now, I, that we're, now that we're talking about this, actually, it doesn't need to be another one. How, what's from saying that the Darkhold is not an, a multiversal tomb mm. home that has recorded the creation of each Scarlet Witch in each different multiverse universe that's true mm-hmm. uh, the multiverse is a major player here in fact even at yeah. the even the stinger at the very end of episode nine when you get past the credits mm-hmm. um has wanda in a cabin and she's like sipping a cup of coffee you go into the back room and there is her her um uh, astral plane form yeah pulling a doctor strange going through mm-hmm. the tome yeah. uh and you know we saw that and it's like oh my gosh she's doing what dr strange she hears her children yeah. then she hears her children who should not yet exist um but of course this is introducing the concept of the multiverse yeah. uh, as it applies to these characters not just mm-hmm. not just well, spider-man and, and the dark hold itself uh is something that was introduced in agents of shield and the runaways marvel runaways so um it just made those two shows canon or part of, of the universe that we already know it knew it was but um so it's really interesting what they're doing and how they're weaving the story. Um, there's also some breadcrumbs to a more dangerous overarching villain. Um, yes. Uh, Mephisto, mm-hmm. which I'm excited if that is the case. That's something else um, I want to see. Because that is a character I think that is much more compelling than Thanos. Especially interesting. with... The way they did Thanos, it would be really amazing to see them pull this one off, hmm. um, th- this villain off, um, because we've already seen him before. I mean, that was technically Peter Fonda's character when he made the deal with the Ghost Rider, Nicolas Cage. Um, so if they bring him in, that could canonize or make that part of the Marvel Universe, those movies. Um I don't know. I'm, I'm excited. I am excited be, uh, because that could play a factor into the Spider-Man movie, you know, with, mm. you know, I know that that's been placed after the Doctor Strange movie because there's pretty solid rumors and pretty solid talk that there is three different Spider-Mans on set. 
you know, we have Andrew Garfield returning as well as Tobey Maguire, which I would be, I, I'm, I'm happy for both of those. That. I mean, mm-hmm. that would be fantastic. Um, I, I'm excited for this phase. You know, the first phase I enjoyed the movies, there were some stinker movies, but there was an overall story. Marvel definitely knows how to keep an independent story in the movie, but have an overall over arc. Arcing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and they're still doing it in the TV series too, which is impressive. Yeah. So this leads into, and we've already basically transitioned here, but I'm going to tee it up anyway, because that's what I do. <laughs> Let's talk about implications for the future. And I think that there are two big sections here. The first is, the actual future potential storylines within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But the second that I'd really like to make sure to touch on at the end is what are the implications for the industry? Because I think that there are some beautiful artistic and intentional things that have been done here that have been proven through WandaVision and through the success of the MCU so far that have broader implications for how film and television media, especially existing franchises, are going to be treated moving forward. Well, I mean, the biggest thing is, you know, we don't need to cram a story into a two-hour block. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right now, I mean, what, this was four and a half hours, if if we look at it, roughly. Something Um, like that. Which, you know, Peter Jackson did with several of his uh, Lord of the Rings movies. Or we just have, one of them. Or just one of them, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a much extended version. Um, and it allows for you to be able to tell that, that arc. It is a lot harder to keep someone in a seat for four hours. But, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it, it's, it's the truth. But this way you can. Mm-hmm. You slowly give the episode bit by bit by bit. And not only that, Disney is genius. I will give him credit for this in going back to the old TV format one Mm -hmm. a week. Now you get them all, you binge it. I mean, how many times does a something come out on Netflix and you binge it two day, two, three days later. It's like, what else am I going to watch now? It's done. There's no, but at the same time, you know, people, individuals that did not grow up in our generation don't understand that they're just used to it. That's what it it was. Mm -hmm. there was there was so much excitement and buildup that till the next you know next week's episode and you you were there at that time because that's the only time you could see it people just and i think that's the other element here is the the buildup the the speculation the wonder of what's going to happen next um Mm -hmm. especially when there's a little you know you're watching the credits and there's this little blip scene like what um no, yeah, no, by no, the way, no. if any of you did not watch through the end of the credits, I apologize, but you're going to have to log into Disney Plus one more time. <laughs> there's some important stuff that you missed that I think. Well, and not only that, good. there's huge implications with that last scene. Yes. I mean enormous. Uh I mean, so that was that was one of the things I I posited the question to Tasha in episode eight and then in episode nine, after everything was said and done, I I told her outright, I'm like, what are the implications here for a crossover between Scarlet Witch and Doctor Strange? Like, again, this is, I'm definitely an outsider to the MCU. Like, I don't know what canon already exists in the comic books and everything else, but 
with that she, being the case, she I'm is still in looking the Doctor at all of Strange that. movie. She is in the Doctor Strange movie. That's yeah, that part's been confirmed. Okay. Oh, yeah. well, I'm very glad to hear that because yeah. I'm like, okay, I picked up, and again, breadcrumbs all along the way that yeah. were not talking down to me as a first timer, but that set the expectation that was like, this is a thing. You know, we've referenced the Sorcerer Supreme. We're seeing a lot of similar iconography, visual effects. We're seeing a lot of background lore that seems to imply that these people are at least adjacent, if nothing else. Yeah. And that also excites me, especially as a Doctor Strange fan myself. Yeah. If, if I could jump on what this means for the industry, because I think that's the part that I, I could speak more to rather than what, what do I expect to see happen to the canon? Mm-hmm. Um, and we've kind of touched on this, but I want to sum this part up a little bit. Uh, Wanda and Mandalorian have, in the immortal words of Heath Ledger's Joker, they've changed things, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, to Dan's point about, you know, you don't have to feel obligated to cram a cinematic story in a cinematic experience in two and a half or less. Mm-hmm. Instead, you can take your time to tell the story well in an episodic format. That has, uh, we with Mandalorian uh, behind the scenes doing revolutionary stuff, which is sort of the history. That's the lifeblood of Star Wars production, right? Mm-hmm. Every, every trilogy uh, that has ever come out of Star Wars has done something to innovate the industry. And we can talk about that on another episode, the history of Star Wars innovations in, the, in, in cinema as, as a format. But the same thing kind of happened here with these original content shows. First of all, uh, let, let, let's compare them to the standard American season of a show. Even if you look at things like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter, those are standard television seasons with 12 somewhere between 12 and 20 episodes a season Hmm. and you end up with a certain production quality because they have to stretch their resources their budget their their film time all that stuff all the resources have to stretch over that 12 to 20 episode arc and so you end up with a very television experience you end up with a very small screen experience mandalorian and wanda intentionally kept their seasons to between eight and ten so that you could have these cinematic quality shows. And they told the story concisely and beautifully in every episode. We talked about this previously with Mandalorian season two. Mandalorian season two was superior to season one in every way. And uh, while season one was a great season, it could be argued that there's at least one, maybe two episodes that are only meh to eh, you know, but, but season two of Mandalorian did not have a met episode. Season mm. two of Mandalorian did not have a weak episode. WandaVision did not have a weak episode, not when you take it as a whole. Mm. Uh, I think in terms of how does this impact the industry, they've shown that despite American audiences, one, you don't have to treat your audience like morons. This goes back to something you were saying, Elton, where the show does not talk down to us. It does not ham fist beat us with points of exposition. Um, There are so many shows and surprisingly successful shows that treat us like we're dumb and it's disappointing. It's insulting. 
and I hate those shows. Um, but these Mandalorian, Wanda, these shows that we're getting now in the original content streamiverse, these shows assume that we are intelligent enough to come along for the journey that we can at least hold our own, that we have access to something called the interwebs and that we can do the research to fill in the gaps, that we don't have to be beaten with the two by four of exposition. Um, this, on the, on oh, the flip ahead. side of that coin though, they also made sure that they didn't cut out vital information. Yes, they, they remained accessible. Down, but they didn't cut it out so that people who didn't want to go on the internet like me and get everything <laughs> spoiled for them could still follow what was going on. They remained, a, they remained accessible, absolutely. They weren't completely over our heads and that's important too. But man, I really get fed up with TV shows that think that the height of comedy has to do with bodily functions and parts. Uh, this show was brilliant in its drama, in its comedy, in its philosophy, and mm. it did so in a way that was highly accessible. I think, I think that in, to kind of sum it up, it has paved the way for cinematic experiences expressed over, like, like Dan said, a film in long form, right? Eight to 10 episodes. It doesn't have to be 20. It can be more of like a European, almost a BBC length season, and it will be of quality to us. And on top of that, now that we're binging this with my kids, we'll, we'll watch two, two and a half episodes a day. Um, now that we're binging it with our kids, as opposed to watching it one episode at a week, uh, what I'm sorry, one episode per week, uh, my I'm experiencing anyway, the difference in, you know, you see an episode, it sits with you, you chew on it, you discuss it with your friends at the water cooler, days go by, you hypothesize, a week goes by, and then you get to the new episode. And there's this really careful pacing that occurs. When you binge it, you miss out on that. You really do. It's still a good experience, but it's not a pure experience when you binge it. And so I agree, as much as I hate it, when a cool show comes out one episode at a time on a streaming service, I've now grown to appreciate how it gives us time to digest and synthesize. So they've broken the streaming mold. They've broken the American television season length mold. They've broken the resource limitation mold. And they've broken the idea that cinematic experiences are only for the cinema. So we only have a little bit of time left, but I have a final short form question that I want to ask both awesome. of you. Lightning round, let's do it. Is there for either of you a franchise or a failed film or some type of universe that deserves the WandaVision treatment? Because I can tell you right now, for me, I distinctly recall having a very long soapbox argument with people over the film Ender's Game when Ooh. it came out. Oh, they, that's a good one. They murdered my boy because they felt so constrained by the 90 minute runtime mm -hmm. that they didn't take the time to explore anything. Amen. Amen. And, and I do, I think that the film is fine. Like it's okay. I accept it as an interpretation of the Enderverse, but I honestly believe if they treated it the way that they treated WandaVision, yes. people would lose their minds. Like there is so much content within the books that is difficult to capture without giving it real screen time. 
character growth and exploration, internal yes. conflict manifesting into external conflict. Even if like shocking was, reveals. Exactly. If you gave if you gave the audience enough breathing room to take it in long form like this, I honestly believe that would be a killer show. Well, I mean, any book. I think any book. I mean, I think that's why Game of Thrones was successful is because instead of cramming it into a two-hour movie, we got a season or two. Um, mm. I mean, we, we got that. Again, I, the reason WandaVision works is because they did it right. I don't think mm. they did it right with Game of Thrones. They went all weird and crazy, but that's okay. That's their thing. Um, you know, especially as they started running out of material, season eight. I mean, they just didn't have the book to go off of. I think any book definitely will do better with the long form. They have more time to develop the story instead of rush it. Is I there one that stands out in your mind? I, I mean, off the top of my head, no. But I mean, I definitely, I think the Harry Potter movies or you know, I know there's a lot cut out of those. Maybe those would be mm -hmm. more successful. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. I just think the long story format would pay off on a book. I'm surprised you didn't say Dragonlance. Okay, I, that was on my mind. I was, I, mean, I was actually going to say I'm going to make an answer for Dan, and the answer is Dragonlance. You know, uh, Dragonlance would work, obviously. What about but, Drist, you know, like the Forgotten Realms series? Yeah, I mean, even the Dark Elf books. But I, I've just given up hope on those things happening. I mean, they did the the little animated movie for, you know. Uh, <laughs> I want you to know that that was super on my brain too. I was like, Dan. But yeah, know. no, no, that's perfectly fine. But you know, and, and that honestly would work. I mean, they could do that. Yeah, you know, even if it's animated for crying out loud, it can work. Yeah, oh, man. But do you think there could be a Ravenloft show? That oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, before Sorry, we're out of time, let me let, let me jump in with my answer really releasing quick. Releasing a new Ravenloft book that expands the world. So yeah, that's true. Um, for me, I I've got. Two, uh, there, there are three that jump to mind, but one automatically gets disqualified because it's already in some form of pre-production. Um, Wheel of Time is low-hanging fruit, and I think that's actually in production right now. Um, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna count that one because I think uh, it's gonna get that treatment. Uh, but no, 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 Wheel of Time. I mean, uh, I realize they've got middle book syndrome, but dude, yeah. Eye of the World, Eye of the World as a season would be hot. All right, so. <laughs> but that's not even where I want to go. There are two things that come to mind. You talked about the movie Solo earlier, and I had a conversation with a friend many, many moons ago now where we discussed the idea that um, Solo is a movie I actually enjoyed and I loved aspects of it, but it was a ton of origin crammed into one film experience. And my buddy said, well, if they, if they gave Solo the treatment they gave Mandalorian season one, it would have been an amazing show and we would have gotten the solo story we deserved. And I was like, oh my crap, you're 100% right. So I think I think origin stories like that, like the solo story, I think would be great as an episodic experience. And as um, as an, yeah. as sort of like in a, go ahead. I just thought of another one to go along with that, Shadow of the Empire. Oh my gosh, Shadow of the Empire would be incredible. Oh yeah. Could we please get Anson Mount? That'd be great. Oh, anyway. Yeah. um. Uh, and the other one that stuck out in my mind, my, my very first reaction when you were asking about what should you know be rebooted or, or, or treated this way, Stargate. I actually 
love Ooh. the original 1995 movie. I think the television series were all garbage. And I know that's going to cause fire and flame to descend upon my yeah. head. I, I think the TV show is is trash compared to the original film. I, I completely agree. We went from a very strong military leader with Kurt Russell's um, oh, Jack. What's his name? It, 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 well, there was Jackson. Yeah. Was the dot? Was the well, no, was Jack, uh, David? Shepherd. Yeah, it was James Spader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and then we go to Richard Dean Anderson's version of him, and he's like this kind of bumbling idiot guy. The, the show totally lost the okay. The show created guys. its own spirit. I get that. Oh. Yeah. I know, oh, but Alton, Alton, me. Alton, I respect you as a human being, but you a child, baby boy. Okay, the uh, movie. And the weird Lego spider things. I, I understand. Crap. I understand that when it comes to film and television, I am but a wee babe <laughs> and still am being spoon fed the burger baby food. But nevertheless, what you just said hurts. Okay, I, I, I do. Okay, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. I will say there is a huge tonal dissonance between yes. the film and the television show. Yes, yes. So I I'll can agree, with, agree with you Massive. on that front. Yes, I yes. Can I agree. definitely agree with you on that front. And we'll put that aside for another episode. I think that's a great, yeah, that should be a future episode. We should talk about that. But I would love to see Stargate get the episodic treatment. There was also a sequel in book form, and the sequel was really good, in my opinion. Uh, I would love to see, I would love to see Stargate get this kind of treatment. Nice. Awesome. Well, so I think that that kind of leaves a pretty important question out to you, Dungeon Crawlers. I, I have one question before we jump into that. Oh, ooh, right. ooh. How cool would it be to get a Jimmy Woo TV series? Oh, you know that's X Files. Jimmy, yeah. <laughs> Jimmy Woo oh, and Darcy. Yeah, yeah. that yeah, the, the every episode is them going to check out some weird thing that's happening in the world that some, that, I mean, this could even be connected to the whole Marvel universe that there's random weird multiversal things popping up and it's Jimmy Woo's job along with Darcy to go and, you know, check these things out and investigate. We could call the show two broke agents, the X-Men files. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Something <sighs> like that. Uh, it's, I mean, just Jimmy Woo in this was amazing they added so much depth to his character so much more dimension i know i mean i I kind of found him humorous in you know ant-man and wasp but seeing him in this was so so amazing he went from pathetic to sympathetic and i liked that a lot i actually liked they gave his character more about this character even though he has no superpowers or anything (laughs) like that he has magic Yes. All right. All right, Dungeon Crawlers. <laughs> Alton has a question for you. I, I do. And moreover, now, based on that last small diatribe, I think that we have to have a double question for this week. Oh, I like it. Twofer. The, the first question, please answer this on our Discord server. You can find it at dungeoncrawlersradio.com. Or if you take a look in the description to this episode, you should be able to find it there as well. But on our Discord server, we'll have two questions posted this week. The first is... What franchise or book or film or series or whatever would you like to see receive the WandaVision treatment? And the second is, of the characters that were developed over the WandaVision series, which would you like to see more of? Brilliant. Please check that out on our Discord server. Um, Going forward, uh, at least for the next while, we're trying to grow our numbers on the Discord server a lot, and we're trying to grow our interaction with you folks. We love hearing from you guys. And so... Um, when these questions get posted, 
we're going to be reading through them and we're going to uh, randomly select one person for each of those questions. We'll be receiving a $10 gift card to Mythos at mythos.games, or you can find them in person in South Jordan. Um, and if you leave us a particularly interesting answer, there could also be some bonus prizes making their way out to uh, people in the community, which will be determined on a case-by-case -case basis. But with that, I think Dan's got to take us out. Yes, but now I'm thinking and I'm pondering. Besides <laughs> Jimmy Woo, who else do I want to see more of? That means it was a good episode, and we will definitely come back to that question in a we future will, week. We will read your answers all live on the air and discuss them, how we agree or disagree, and we will have an awesome, awesome discussion about what you want to see in the DC or in the, in the MCU going forward. Yes. Yes. So with that said, we're out of here. Dungeon crawlers, no matter what channel you're on, tell your story, whatever may come. And realize that whether you have a cinematic window or an episodic window of time, be epic. Don't suck. Remember the force will be with you always.